at Trump rallies. First thing I notice is that every one of those rallies, there is a far right preacher opening them. And the press is back there in the press box, sitting there looking at their phones, not paying attention. And it's not just they're not paying attention to that language, which it's inoculating the crowd, most of whom are not churchgoers, but now we are engaged in holy work. The preacher is almost always black or Latinx, and the crowd is most white. I can't be racist, and I must be holy, because look at that black man up there saying, God bless you, right? And the press pays no attention and doesn't report it until Trump starts winning evangelical votes. And our political press says, how could this possibly be happening? That's political journalist Jeff Charlotte describing a scene he witnessed over and over as he attended Trump rallies in Iowa during the 2016 and 2020 elections. You're listening to Inspired by Interfaith Voices. I'm Umbreen Khan. Charlotte has been reporting on the rise of the new religious right for nearly two decades and plays close attention to the ways language, religious metaphors and symbols appear in political campaigns, speeches and advocacy. He's written extensively about the growth and influence of the Christian right in America. But today, he says, we see this all morphing into a new right. It's fusing together different elements and issues. It's a point that comes through in his most recent book, The Undertow, Scenes from a Slow Civil War. It begins with a reminder about the role of race in America. Charlotte makes the case that anti-Black racism is at the heart of the conflict, dividing America's politics and the battle over her identity. Published in March 2023, it became an instant New York Times bestseller and made the Times 100 most notable books of the year. In it, Charlotte details a road trip across the country, visiting churches, bars, civic spaces, and even grocery store parking lots. His quest takes him into revelatory conversations where guns, violence, and talk of another civil war are normalized, often infused with spiritual imagery and end-of-times discourse. Charlotte explores the role of evangelical Christianity in this as well and says it's part of what's fueling the divide. And it's here that figures like the former president have an outsized role as savior and an embodiment of the warrior for the aggrieved. Let's take a listen to an excerpt of the hour-long conversation with producer Kimberly Winston that first broadcast in 2023. We begin with the question Winston poses to Charlotte about the title, Why the Undertow? An undertow is a current that sweeps you out to sea. And, the, you know, if you've ever been caught, sometimes caught a riptide, um, uh, it's not sort of visible. You're swimming along. You don't realize that you're moving away from shore until it's too late. In the worst case scenario, you, you swim frantically against the undertow. Bad idea. Yep. So I thought there's been some forces that have been pulling us out toward um, this moment of Trumpism. And we haven't been paying as a, as a country and, and really as a planet because we are, it's a global fascist moment, haven't been paying enough attention to them. And then suddenly here we are and we hear some folks sort of looking around saying, I can't believe this. How did we get here? In the undertow, Charlotte is attentive to the distrust and the growing belief 
that many see a civil war as potentially necessary. He cites the militaristic rhetoric and messages coming from prophecies online and those delivered in pulpits and parking lot rallies, where guns are prolific, and so is the spiritual and holy war language. Charlotte details also how former President Trump is viewed as a messianic, savior-like figure, along with others, including Ashley Babbitt. She's a small businesswoman, army veteran, and insurrectionist who was killed on January 6th on the Capitol grounds. Charlotte describes how the support among QAnon conspiracy groups has moved offline into real life and how that community is continuing to grow and organize. As we get back to the conversation, Winston asked Charlotte if the militancy conveyed in holy war language is a distortion of Christianity. It's one of the sort of the questions I think about a lot. And I might come at it from a sort of a different a different angle. I might disagree a little bit in the sense that when you say like we don't teach them what Christianity really means, yes, we do. Christianity is real. And I think a good way for thinking about that, because we can say, oh yeah, but they're cherry picking, and sure, they can say, I come not to bring peace but the sword, but you're missing the metaphor. I would say they're not actually missing metaphors, they tend to concretize metaphors. Right? They tend to take spiritual work. You know, I'm struggling to be a better parent and to stop drinking. And I think I'm engaged in spiritual work. But if you concretize that metaphor, you take that metaphor and flatten it, right? Spiritual work, why, it must be war. Charlotte visits non denominational, unaffiliated congregations and third spaces that are growing, as Ryan Burge earlier talked about, from the bottom up. Many of the ones he profiles feature charismatic leaders who tap into pop culture spirit to make the church experience entertaining. One such church is the VU Church in Miami. Now, that's short for Rendezvous. It's a mega church known for its prosperity gospel messages, light on theology and full of celebrity. God's done so much this year that when we start to reflect, I, I really am. I'm blown away. I think for the last few years, collectively, the whole world has been pointing back to before 2020, before 2020. But I felt like this year, God moved us out of that season mm. and we weren't making up time or making up ground, but we've taken ground this year. God has poured out His grace on our church. He's expanded our family. He's done so much, and I'm just really grateful. Vu's origins began with a reality television show, Rich in Faith, that featured Pastor Rich. Unlike QAnon and the militaristic spiritual holy war language, Charlotte explains why he also counts this in the undertow. Vu is a very empty church. But I do think it's part of the undertow. I wouldn't say it has no theology. It actually comes from a various conservative assemblies of God background. But it's so emphasizing your pleasure, your satisfaction, your glorification, right? Super hipster church. Pastor Rich likes to point out that he looks like Leonardo DiCaprio, and he does. He might look better. Um, he's wearing $1,000 sneakers. He's the pastor who performed the wedding for Kanye and Kim. He's Justin Bieber's pastor. Um, he preaches a lot about looking good. His congregation looks good. They meet in the, the really super hip art district of Miami. There's all kinds of beautiful galleries. And also 96% 
of the children are below the poverty line. So what do you do? You hire cops to keep those kids out of your church. But you have to have a heart for the poor, don't you? So one day a week, you all gather at a community center where you've got a few homeless guys stored away, and then they are paraded out. One per table, please, so that everyone can crowd around them and relate. That's part of the undertow. You know, those kind of hipster uh, movements that typically come from much more conservative churches are reaching people who weren't going to go to the openly political church, um, didn't understand themselves as right wing, but they are slowly being pulled out. I can't say Vu isn't, I can say it's hollow, but I can't say it isn't Christian because in that place, that is what those Christians have chosen to be. Well, I can't say the church of glad tidings that I go to a, a militia church, they have militia meetings on Tuesday. Uh, a now a nationally prominent church on the right, right-wing major figures like Candace Owens go there to speak. They don't have the cross anymore because that's just not what time when we're in wartime. The pulpit is made of swords. And I can't tell them also that they are not real Christianity. I can't say, how could you possibly interpret Christianity as a war religion? The history of Christianity is infused with war religion. They emphasize that. And I feel strongly about this because I think so many really great people, um, they want to say those people are fake Christians mm. instead of wrestling with the fact of they're in the faith too. Once you say they're fake Christians, you're not responsible for them anymore. I have to say as a Jew, don't reassure me that those people coming at me with guns are fake Christians. In the same way that as a Jew, I can't say that I have nothing to do with the Orthodox Jews in Israel who are imposing these horrific laws. We are in community. We are accountable to each other. So the last third of this book is a road trip that you make from Sacramento back to your home in Vermont. You stop everywhere you can, at churches, at bars, community centers, all kinds of places, and you meet and talk to people who are part of this far right. The most shocking thing to me was what happened to you when you went to Omaha, Nebraska, and you visited the Lord of Hosts Church, which I believe, if memory serves, is in a mall? Yeah. Yeah, it's in a shopping mall. And you did what every journalist, real journalist does, which is you announced yourself, hi, I'm a journalist. Here's my notebook. Here's my pencil. Can I come in? They were like, okay, you can come in. So the church is presided over by a man named Hank Kuhneman, who, Pastor Hank, who is a rising star of the prophetic far right. He appears regularly on a show called Flashpoint uh, with figures like Dutch Sheets. And there are sort of secular counterparts like General Michael Flynn and Congresswoman Lauren Boebert. Um, and these are the folks who prophesied Trump's victory in 2020. They insist that they were not wrong. As Pastor Hank says, and I think in actually a weirdly astute comment, right? He says, Trump is coming back, whether it's the man himself or the spirit in the body of another, right? And it's a great church service. It's really good. The music is fantastic. And Hank is a white man who says he learned how to preach in the black churches of North Omaha. He knows how to preach. The message is terrifying. The message is one of war and not figurative at all. We are going to fight a war. Um, this is going to happen. We have been given charge to this. He claims that he has special visions of Jesus, a 
appearing in combat fatigues and a tight white t-shirt. And that tight white t-shirt's important because I talked about in the book, the eroticism of fascism. And look, we can talk about, you know, borrowing from radical orthodoxy, that Anglican movement, the, the arrows of Christ, the desire. He is attuned to that. But it's not just the militant Christ. Also, he says the sanctuary roof lifted off and a giant Native American warrior appeared with the biggest headdress I'd ever seen and hurled his spear down at me. And I'm now thinking like, oh, spear of destiny and says, take this up and reclaim this land. Um, the Native American passing his weapon onto the white man instead of the white man stealing, right? Now it's the white man is the rightful heir to this figure. It just keeps ramping up like this until he finally comes. He loves to do imitations of voices and he starts talking about there's men with guns in the back. They're in tactical gear, you know, body armor, matching body armor, all black. In the it, back of the church, in the back, back of the, the sanctuary. Mm-hmm. Yeah, back, back to the sanctuary. And these guys, meanwhile, though, look like commandos. They are a sort of paramilitary force of the church. And uh, he says, I've got them back there. Why do you need men with guns? He imitates a voice and he says, he says, because angels are armed. The church is armed, um, but you can't see the angels. So men with guns are the earthly embodiment of these angels. You sure can see that guy with a gun. And then he says, it's like Psalm 23. You know, yea, though I walk through the the shadow of death, thy rod and the staff. But he says, thy rod. Well, I did not put in the book. He does a hip thrust. It's not accidentally fell. No. It's like thy rod, you know? Um, It is thy rod, thy gun, thy phallus. And he said, the rod is a gun. Um, Well, I'm pretty, this is some service. Afterwards, I go to speak to them. No, 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 no. They're body pushing me out. All right. They say, I got to go. I go out in the parking lot. I'm not on their ground. And I get to speaking to three women who who, uh, have traveled to be there. They're not members. We're on public property. None of us are members talking about God. And they're telling me about the need for civil war and the problem with the cities. And the cities have a little too much um, diversity. And along comes a church usher, blue blazer, you know, white shirt, just like what you'd imagine a church usher looking, except he's backed up by a gunman, um, full body armor, dead eye, you know, just like one of these guys who wants to be tough. And uh, they just tell me I cannot be there, but I'm older and I'm more careful. But I just, I start to, and I say, but wait a minute, I brought a pencil. And you brought a man with a gun. And I got this mechanical pencil. I'm clicking it. You know, like the red <laughs> it's like, you know, like uh, in a movie where someone like opens their revolver and empties the bullets. I'm like, look, I'm clicking the legs. And it's just back and forth. And the usher is kind of leaning in, sticks out his jaw, starts to grin a little bit. And I'm realizing these guys are going to escalate. I've been in this situation before. They actually are. And I realize where we are. I mean, they feel secure. I've already said, they said, oh, yeah, you go ahead, call the cops. They, they know who's coming, right? And I say, and I just one more time, I say, I brought a pencil, you brought a gun. And Marquise, the usher, leans in and says, how do you know I don't have a gun? I've been in scarier situations, but something about that felt like this 20 years of reporting, something has changed. That hasn't happened in a place like that before. 
You could always go. And I'm a lefty writer. I am transparently subjective. I'm not going pretending to be objective. I've been welcomed in every kind of far right place. Not because they were fooled, because they thought maybe they were going to convert me, or they thought, like, you know, what our message will get through, or because they believed in free speech. And now, and I've talked to other journalists who are observing the same. Now those doors are closing. I mean, they told me that I might be a demon, and the pastor had actually preached against me from the pulpit. He says, report on, right on. I hope you enjoy working for people who pay you to lie, but your sin will find you out. And, you know, I'm sitting there in the crowd, like, wondering what's going on. And, and, and I have to say, frankly, regretting having called ahead <laughs> and said I was coming. I've been held at gunpoint in Uganda and Russia. Um, I have uh, crooked cops have slammed me hard up against the wall, been threatened with baseball bats, with knives. And I'm not a tough guy reporter. You know, I'm not like a war correspondent has really been in scary places. Right. Um, but I've just been in those situations. But this, this was just the order. And the confidence with which they said, go ahead, call the police. This was the order of the moment. And that question, how do you know I don't have a gun? I feel like that's the American question now. And I'm a gun owner myself. I'm not afraid of guns. I saw more guns on this trip than I have in, in 20 years of reporting on the right. I think one of the really serious concerns that we have to contend with is that we live in a moment of global fascism. I mentioned I've been at the wrong end of a gun in Uganda and Russia because I was reporting on fascist movements there. And uh, unlike the last moment of global fascism, there's not really a countervailing force. Say what you will about Stalin and He's a monster and a murderer. Um, but he was a countervailing force. Chinese communism is not a countervailing force. Essentially, it's got all the hallmarks of fascism. But beyond even that, we have all the leaders who are called Trumps. Erdogan, the Trump of Turkey. Bolsonaro, the Trump of Brazil. Uh, Duterte, the Trump of the Philippines, who has been since succeeded by a return of the dictator Marcos's son, who is even further to the fascist right. Modi in India is a fascist leader who came to power partly on his appeal to Hindu nationalism and partly on his record as a man who participated in mass killings. Um, it's a global fascist moment. So to say that is there something particularly American about this can blind us to that and blind us to how we're going to have to get through it. Yes, it's a global fascist moment, but fascism takes many forms. That's all for this week's show. If you missed any part, you can stream it online at interfaithradio.org. While you're there, you can also learn about us, read the show notes, sign up for our newsletter, and explore the archives. You can find our podcast on Apple Podcasts, Stitcher, or really the podcaster of your choice. Just search Interfaith Voices. And while you're there, help us out. Leave a rating and a review. It helps others find us. Music by Blue Dot Sessions, and a special thanks to our founder, Maureen Fiedler. This week's episode was produced by Kevin McCarthy and Kimberly Winston. Inspired is a production of Interfaith Voices. We're a nonprofit, and we rely on the generous support of our listeners to bring you this show. I'm your host and executive producer, Umbreen Khan. 
Remember to stay safe, stay well, and stay connected. I'll see you next week. Political journalist Jeff Charlotte 